Hello, curiosity seekers. Welcome to Dissecting Medical History. I'm Ange. I'm a travel nurse, medical history enthusiast, and your host. If you're looking for a storytelling formatted podcast with fun and fascinating topics on history and bios, then you are in the right spot. Please note this is not in any way medical advice. If you have anything that's ever discussed in any of the podcast episodes, please seek medical attention. Now, let's get this story started. Today's episode is about the royal touch. And here with me today to talk about it is my friend Melissa. Hi, everybody. I'm glad you're back on my podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be back. Have you ever heard of the royal touch? I have not. I'm thinking of King Midas turning everything to gold, but I'm not sure. You, you're close. Okay. The king is in there. Not the turning of gold, but something to do with the powers of, of the royalty. Oh. The royal touch is sort of a laying on of hands, only with royalty. The first to start this ritual was thought to be Edward the Confessor. That was in 1042 to 1066. But the French denies this and says it was them that had started this. And they were and they were the only ones that had the gift and that the English just copied them and pretended they had it for political reasons. And they're saying that Henry the first was that was 1100 to 1135 had it. Some of their other kings, King Philippe the first and Robert the second. Robert the second was 987 to 1031. And then some even say that as early as Clovis's reign, I don't know who Clovis I is. I don't know who Clovis is. <laughs> I know where Clovis is in California, but I don't know who Clovis is. No, there was a ruler named Clovis. It was 481 to 511. I don't know that part of history very well or even either. French history, no. but they're saying that they had the gift of the laying on of the, the, the royal touch. Okay. So what is so special about this gift? Well, it has to do with curing something called the king's evil. Any oh, ideas? Of what, do you know the what king's, king's evil? evil. Mm-hmm. I do not. I don't even really have a guess for that. I'm going Is to... it an exorcism oh. type of deal? Um, no. So the king's evil is also known as scrofula. Scrofula. It's Latin meaning the breeding sow. <laughs> okay. And it's named that because it was thought that they, the sows, were susceptible to the disease. So technically, it's a form of tuberculosis that infects the lymph nodes in the neck. It's the same bacteria. Okay. As the. I know tuberculosis can affect other parts of the body. Yes. I've seen pictures of children with tuberculosis of the spine, I believe it was. Those are probably more rare. The more common would be the mm-hmm. neck. And that's actually still a little bit more rare, but apparently tuberculosis was this in the neck was a little bit more common around the time of these Kings because, well, I'll tell you why I think that Mm -hmm. in a moment, but anyway, it's a form of tuberculosis that infects those lymph nodes in the neck and then it can produce really large growths and it is rarely fatal, but it can be very disfiguring. 
And the reason it is referred to as the king's evil is because it requires a touch by royalty to be cured. Ah. I don't know how they figured that out. At some point, somebody touched somebody <laughs> that had it, and then it probably went into remission. And coincidentally. Yes, because like TB, it can go into remission. Right. So it's a condition in which the bacteria that causes tuberculosis causes symptoms outside of the lungs. It usually takes form of inflamed and irritated lymph nodes in the neck. It causes swelling and lesions on the side of the neck, and it sometimes gets so big that it has to drain, or or it has to be drained, or it'll just drain on its own with pus or other fluids for several weeks. Yum. You know, that's, yeah, it sounds delightful. <laughs> they may have symptoms that we usually associate with TB, such as fever, night sweats, malice, and unexplained weight loss. And today it's uh, also known as cervical tuberculosis lymphoendinitis. Okay. Have you ever seen this before? I have not. No. I haven't either. Um, it's not very common anymore, especially in industrial nations. 10% of the TB patients in the U.S. are diagnosed with it. Wow. It's also um, diagnosed by biopsy and x-rays. And it can be a very serious infection. And like TB in the lungs, it takes longer to, to treat. So it could take six months or more with antibiotic mm -hmm. treatment. Depending on the size, it may also need to be removed surgically after the course of antibiotics. Less than half of those with scrofula also have TB in their lungs. The neck wound can go into remission and it can be a chronic issue. There is a high cure rate, though, with the antibiotics and it is contagious. Oh. Because, like, TB, especially if it's draining. Right. It can be. Does this, is this the type of thing that can cause swelling kind of inside and cause airway obstruction? From where everything I read, treated? it seemed to be on the outside. On the outside, okay. I think maybe if the lymph nodes get big enough, it can do some obstruction. Okay. But I don't, I didn't read any of that. Yeah. I'm sure it's probably uncomfortable yeah. swallowing if your lymph nodes are really, you it's know, like. Probably, it probably doesn't feel nice. It's, I imagine no. it might be painful. It looks gross, but. Yeah. Um, you know, like when you get sick and you get the, the lymph nodes under your under your jaw mm -hmm. and it's hard to swallow. It's yeah. probably like that. Yeah. The royals were not afraid about the scrofula being contagious, of course, because they can cure themselves. Of course. But it can be contagious since it is tuberculosis bacteria, like I said. Um, because scrofula can eventually go into remission with no treatment, it makes it seem like perhaps the touch really is the cure. Also, the fact that the, the peasants get to be touched by the king and go through this ceremony might have a placebo effect. Right. Like it makes, I don't know, somehow it's exciting and whatever and all that happy. All that adrenaline. Yeah. All, all that serotonin. <laughs> yeah. Kind of makes things, uh, makes things better. So I have a question. Okay. So because it's a tuberculosis in the hospital, if we have tuberculosis or suspected tuberculosis patients, we have to put them on airborne precautions. But that's typically because it's a... I don't know if that has to do with because it's breathed out in the lungs. Can because it still is it droplets? still airborne? Is it still an airborne disease? I do not think so. Just, okay, because it's not being so. It's more like spread from contact. the from the contact with the secretions mm -hmm. and everything. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because every time we talk, we're yeah, putting out you're putting out those secretions yeah. even though you don't realize it, mm -hmm. which is why masks are so important. Mm -hmm. I'm always, you know, with 
being a travel nurse, we're always being tested for TB. And of course, I'm allergic to the little skin test, so that oh. it's hard because everyone always assumes that I'm positive because I have a reaction. Have I, a reaction. Get, I get mm-hmm. rashes, but it's not the same reaction as if you were positive for TB. Right. So I just, I just have to do the blood test. But mm-hmm. every time I do the test, I'm like, is this the time that I'm going to have TB? Right. Have you taken time, care of TB patients? Yeah. 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 It's not. It's kind of rare. Mm-hmm. Maybe one a year. Yeah. But uh, I still, like, have that thought. That's the thing is those are known. I feel safer knowing that they're TB because I know I'm having a mask and I know I'm. Right. But it's the unknown patients that I'm always worried about. Right. You're not wearing that N95 and you don't know that you're being exposed. I am now because of the (laughs) pandemic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We have a little more safe. but For sure. But for a long time, this TB thing, people didn't um, understand it or know it or diagnose you know what i mean so right. this i mean so for them somehow the the royals thought that the touch was the answer so it's really kind of interesting yeah um but anyway back to this touching ceremony the royal touching ceremony happened in different cities and happened at least four times a year <clears throat> excuse me and were very public so the four times a year were easter pentecost all Saints Day and Christmas. All classes were invited. Many peasants came. The ritual ceremony of the royal touch remained in the Book of Common Prayer until the mid-18th century. The Book of Common Prayer is a book, a prayer book that's related to the Anglican Communion Church of England. The royal touch was thought to be a mix of religion and pagan rituals. So the church couldn't really fight it because they did feel like it was pagan right. But at the same time, they, the kings and I guess some of the church was thinking, it is a gift from God given to these royals. Yeah. And so it was kind of misunderstood of like which, what it was. So they just said, okay, it's a mix of. I'm surprised that they wouldn't. I don't know. I think they just turn the other cheek yeah thinking okay it's not really pagan right like oh it's pagan but it's not really pagan so it's okay so it did seem like a a power trip type of thing like right kings have and i think that's why the french were saying that they were the english were doing it as a political move because it showed them well, see, obviously I'm the king because I can cure these people. Right. I can do this royal because touch. Because they thought it was a religious thing and they were kind of ordained with this, you know, this gift from well, God kind of thing. I would say they were ordained. I think it was just, well, I think they feel like once they got coronated, mm-hmm. because a lot of them would do it on coronation day, they it, it was almost like, yeah, maybe God did ordain, you know. Yeah. Um, But... At the same time, it wasn't like the church was ordaining them and right. saying, you know. But I guess the church is involved with the coronation, so maybe, I don't know. Yeah. So uh, the French Louis Fourteenth started doing it as a boy, and he was thought to have, in his lifetime, healed 350,000 citizens. That's a lot of people. But Voltaire said, he was a little skeptical, said that a love interest of his, of Louis the Fourteenth died of scrofula, and he lost confidence in the touch because she died despite having been very well touched by the king. 
the Louis the Fifteenth started out doing the royal touch, but for some reason no longer wanted to do it, which created such a big scandal. I'm sure people were like waiting for the king to to touch them and whatever, and then he just stopped doing it. So then it was restarted by Louis the Sixteenth during his coronation, but then it died out. He stopped doing it, and then it was started again by Charles the Tenth. And he only touched 121 citizens, and that was the end of the touch in France. Okay. When was that? <clears throat> Charles the Tenth was 1825. Okay. The English ceremonies, at least, the peasants were touched. The peasants that were touched would receive a coin called angel because there was Saint Michael, the angel, mm-hmm. on the front of the coin, and it was first started around 1465. And it was a coin that was passed down from one generation to the other. It was a really prized possession. But oftentimes they would wear it around their neck or they would rub the coin all over their body when they had ailments. Um, then, for the English anyway, the practice was stopped with Elizabeth I reign. She just didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. But I think that's probably because she was so busy. <laughs> <laughs> she had a lot of matters to take care of. So um, Another reason maybe... She just didn't need to legitimize herself. A lot of these kings were doing it to legitimize their their, their reign, position, their yeah. position. And I think she probably had enough confidence in herself that she didn't feel the need to have to, right. to do that. Elizabeth the, Elizabeth the second is the one that's currently the queen, right? So this was her I think so. mother or grandmother or yeah. something. Yeah, okay. she's down the line. Yeah. Yeah, because there's a lot of others in between. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think this one's Elizabeth the second. Okay. King Charles II still practiced it, even when he was in exile, just to prove he was the rightful king. In his lifetime, he touched about 90,000. And I thought that was a lot until I read about the Louis and his 350. But right. I feel like it's <laughs> like when they say about the bigger your truck, the more you're trying to compensate. <laughs> yeah. The more, you, <laughs> the more you touch, the more you're trying to compensate. <laughs> Okay, so now being a peasant living near royalty or living in a city where touching or or being near a touching ceremony took place would be pretty nice. But what do the citizens do if they don't live that close to this royal ceremony? Well, in Scotland in 1688, there was a gifted horse in the annandale region of scotland a gifted horse like a, a gifted, smart like a smart horse horse couldn't talk like ed but he <laughs> but he was gifted and that could cure a person's ailment by licking the lesions oh Gross, right? don't horses bite well this is a friendly horse uh, it oh gifted. it's gifted okay so we're good right not angry you don't want to be put to sleep <laughs> um hopefully the ailment wasn't transmitted to the horse like it is with pigs because that's kind of how it got its name. Is it was pigs. But yeah, so that was, I don't know how, how accurate, how many licks it takes to get to the center of a TV. <laughs> to get to the center of the TV, <laughs> of, the TV. of an infected person. Um, or how many it, like what its ratio of cures was. I don't know. Don't know any of that, but, um, it was said to have been a gifted horse. Then there was also commoners that claimed they had the gifts. 
One such person was an Irish landowner by the name of Valentine Greatrax. In 1629 to 1688, I guess that's his lifespan, was also performing some surgeries, probably some INDs maybe, like, because these lesions could get really big, like boil looking. So maybe he was like doing surgical. Oh, kind of open them, like open opening up, opening them the up. Pus and to come out. Yeah. Yeah. The, Those are always fun. Ugh. I did it once. For a friend who had a really big boil. Yeah. I was cleaning it out. This is before I was a nurse. Oh. By the way. <laughs> before anyone wants to get my license out. <laughs> um, and it, it was it was nasty. Was it smelly? I've heard they can be very smelly. Yeah, it was smelly. It wasn't a TB boil, though. No. <laughs> but it did squirt out at me. Oh, were you wearing goggles? I was not. Oh. But it didn't get in my eye either. Gotta make so. sure you're wearing goggles and face mask and all the good protective yeah. equipment. When if you're I was doing a nurse, those. I would have known that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she won't let me forget that. Did the, my first surgery. Um. Anyway, so this guy's name was nickname was the Stroker. Oh, seemed appropriate. It's an interesting nickname. Well, it does. I mean, if you're going to be touching people, stroking, touching their, people. stroking their lesions. What did they call the horse? Did he have a nickname? It Bil- was just horse. <laughs> liquor. Liquor. The liquor. The Irish were not big fans of the English, so I'm sure they were more than happy to give lots of money to Valentine. And not to mention, it was a hell of a lot closer than the trek making it across to England for touching ceremonies. But the church didn't like the fact that he was going to such practices so the bishop's court banned him from any more medical cures in Ireland by claiming that he did not have the proper license to do so. By the way, the Orthodox believed that a regimen, um, a regimen for scofula was consistent of regular diet, rest, air, emetics, phlebotomy, and if all else fails, then the workings of miracles of magic. So emetics, so things that make him throw up. Yes. So, so the humors, the humors thing again. Okay. Yep. Emetics, phlebotomy. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Make him lose that. Which, would yeah, that makes sense if you were throwing up and it was coming out of the lesion, the pus. But yeah. That's not how it works. That's not. not yeah. So in 1666, sounds like a good ah, year. that sounds like a great year. Valentine took his magical hands and headed for England for some good old-fashioned direct competition. These royal touch impostors were not lost on the royal court. Charles II summoned Valentine to him to demonstrate his miracles. That would have been a lot of pressure, like to be summoned by the king. Yeah. To show. Got to demonstrate in front of the demonstrate, king. demonstrate, yeah, sure. that you're, what you're doing, which is what the king's doing. Yeah. I imagine these people actually believe that they were really doing something, though. Probably, because... They- because when it goes into remission, they're like, see? Yeah, okay. yeah. So believe it or not, King Charles let Val- uh, Valentine continue with his traveling miracle touch. Oh. Maybe because he felt like it wasn't good. <laughs> and it just made him look better. Or maybe because he knew that it was favorable to the people. But Valentine only practiced in England for another year. And I'm wondering if that was because it wasn't as popular in England as it was in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Because they did have the real royalty in England. They right. He just this traveling salesman. <laughs> Not sure what he did after he went back. Maybe he went on to touching on the sly or <laughs> maybe he went back to farming. Not sure. Mm. Now, Louis the ninth from 1214 to 1270 
was a French king that declared was declared a saint that could cure scofula with the touch from the beyond. Oh, yeah, that people sounds came fancy. from all over the world, other countries, Spain, wherever. I don't know what the countries back then. <laughs> <laughs> Touched the dead dead man's hand, dead king's hand was kind of decaying at this point oh. to be cured by by the scofula. So he was. His body was out in the open? It was just the hand. Is It, it was just his severed hand? Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. God. And I think they put it in a jar, because I think I saw some pictures oh. of it being in a jar. Did they reach into the jar and touch so, the actual thing? I don't know. Ew. Because I feel like it would be very fragile at this point. Ew. To, like, take it out and touch people. The skin just falling off. There was no skin. Ew. Well, they, I don't know. In the pictures I saw. At that point, probably it not. It was decaying, so mm. at some point. Yum. So, yeah, so that he was considered to be a saint because of that. Oh. Um, now, it's one thing to be touched by a dead hand, <laughs> which is just creepy. But for Queen Anne in 1712, she did not want to touch the peasants sometimes. So in her case, she used a lodestone, which is a naturally magnetic iron oxide and is believed to have healing powers. Mm. But don't worry, they weren't getting jilted because the real royal powers could be transferred to objects well isn't that convenient it was which is probably why the coins were used to rub all over the bodies oh. remember the coins people would be given the royal coins and people really cherished those and they would rub them all over but maybe because a royal had touched them that power was in them and they could transfer their power that coin you know it's kind of interesting because there are people nowadays in the 21st century that believe in healing powers of crystals and that sort of thing so it's not really it sounds kind of similar yeah we work with someone that does do we yeah a nurse Mm -hmm. i do no comment (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of people that i've met who believe and that's that's fine i mean yeah i don't not not believe it because I don't know enough about it. Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess I don't really know enough about it to really. I feel like there's positive energy in things, maybe. Yeah. So maybe, but I, it's not going to cure me of all that ails me. But, <laughs> but I mean, if and, only. And and the other thing is too, if you believe in something and you have faith in something, that kind of transfers over to happy endorphins. True. And true. So even so even like even the placebo direct, effect is still right. effective. So I mean, if it has a some benefit to you, even yeah. if it's you know, yeah, that's a good point. So I will post a picture of the on Instagram of the lodestone that she used. Now the one that now they put it in like a like a metal casing. I don't know that the one that they put that I'll put on online is the one that she used. I think they just did it to protect it. Mm-hmm. But at some point they did put it in a very fancy metal casing that had a handle and everything. And at first when I was looking at it, I'm like, well, the handle, like that's how, uh, that's how far removed this queen was from touching a peasant. Yeah. She really didn't want to touch. Like not only is she not touching the lodestone, she's not even like, she's touching the casing. <laughs> Which is touching the stone, which is touching the peasant. So she's really and removing she probably, herself. And she probably is wearing gloves. So yeah. She, <laughs> so she's so far removed, but, you know, she's the queen. Yeah. She can do what she wants. And therefore, all of these objects are going to have transferred to power. Of course. So I'll put a picture of that 
But also, other countries besides France and England had similar royal touch ceremonies. In Austria, stuttering could be cured by a kiss on the mouth. Oh, yeah, I bet it could. By a monarch, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't do that. Yeah. The Castile royals in Spain were able to exorcise demons with a prayer and the sign of a cross. Hmm. Anyway, so that's just a little quick... um, rundown of the royal touch nice yeah that's definitely new i did not know about that yeah i actually find these crazy things when i'm doing research and then i i'm like okay i need to know more and then i find that it's interesting enough or rare enough that i'm like okay i have to tell the other people. yeah yeah i have to tell the i have to tell the listeners yeah i didn't know i mean i guess i knew that tuberculosis can occur in other parts of the body like i said i've seen pictures of kids with spinal tuberculosis and they become deformed um, I didn't know about the lymph nodes in the neck. It makes sense yeah. that a bacterial infection can infect different parts of your body. But yeah, of course, just like um, I didn't know the staff could be. Um, I never thought about it being in other places until I was in nursing school. Oh yeah, and I think a staph staphylococcus. Was it staphylococcus? It was. Yeah, I think it was a staph infection. There's there's strep and staph, and I mm-hmm. don't remember now. I can't remember which one's which. One of them is really fast acting. Really, okay. What happens really fast. And I had, as a student, a patient who was at the fairgrounds, and for some reason she got a splinter. Mm-hmm. Well, no big deal. Right? We get splinters all the time. It was in her hand. Right. And the back of her hand. And all of a sudden, she it got infected, or it was like really, really swollen and right. painful. So she went to the hospital. She was in the hospital. It was like a med surge ward. And I was doing her vitals. And I noticed that it was kind of spreading and getting worse. Right. So kind of like a cellulitis. Um, kind of no. got into the sub Well, it or? does kind of look like cellulitis where it's red. Like right. That. But it was also getting more swollen. And yeah. it was going up the arm. It was crawling up the arm. Ooh. So I, I did tell them. I did tell the nurse, I said, something's wrong. Yes. <laughs> this is happening really fast. Something's definitely wrong. <laughs> and I can't remember if sta- staph or strep. I, th- I want to say would strep. Get, because yeah, okay. I know there's a lot of staph aureus naturally yeah, living on your skin, but I'm sure there's strep there too. I think it's strep because it's not something you, it's not. It's not what you would expect. Right. It wasn't what you expected. And I think they thought it was just staph, uh-huh. but it was strep. So they had to rush her to the emergency room, too, because it was cutting off circulation. Oh, no. She was turning black. On oh, my fingers. God. Yeah, it was compartment syndrome. Just from a splinter. From a splinter. Oh, my God. Did She was on antibiotic therapy, but I think they were, had her on the wrong therapy because maybe oh, they were treating the wrong. No. Yeah, because if they thought it was staph and it was actually strep and they're treating it with the wrong antibiotics. Yeah, so they switched her. They switched their antibiotics and they rushed her to the emergency room to, to help relieve some of that pressure Ooh. how did it turn out i don't know <laughs> I yeah like- i hate that don't you hate that that if you're off for a few days or you're just doing clinicals you don't ever see that patient again you don't know how it turned out for them yeah it was just clinicals yeah oh i hope she's okay i hope she still has that oh, hand I'm sure. i mean she went to to surgery and she was and in the she, right place yeah to have you know yeah have that fixed, but it did happen so. fast wow all right thank you so much for being a part of this one. And thank you. I had fun. That one was a that one was an interesting one. Yes. All right. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you the next episode. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. 
I hope you enjoyed today's mental vacation from your current life. If you did and are curious for more, please subscribe. Before you go, if you have anything to add to today's show or you have a topic that you think is worthy of dissection, please reach out on dissectingmedicalhistory.com or Instagram on dissectingmedicalhistory. Thank you and stay curious.